Hey, good morning. How are we doing? Man, it's good to see you. Hey, thanks for being here with us today. Scottsdale, Santan, thank you guys so much for what y'all are doing out there and for what God is doing out there. Thank you, man, for getting up, for being here today. We are going to do something, hopefully, that's fun. I I think it's interesting to me, so hopefully you get a little bit of that. We're going to look at where the church started. Now, not Cornerstone 20 years ago. We're we're talking like the church church started back way back in time. Uh, And we're going to do that because I I think it's vital if we can look at what they did. I think it's going to change, hopefully, what we do, and it's going to make what we do better. Um, And that's kind of the plan for it. So as we walk through this to get there, we, we've got to squash what I think is one of Satan's best lies. I, I think it's one of the things that he has sold us, and for centuries now, we've bought into it. And, and it, it's simple. I, I think for centuries now, Satan has done an incredible job of telling us that in order for us to go out and tell the world about Jesus, we have to either have all of our stuff together, like we can't be messed up at all, because you know, you're a hypocrite if you go out and you start telling people about Jesus, but your life is jacked up. So you've got to have everything together. You've got to be super talented and and it doesn't matter what that talent is, but you have to have some type of crazy talent. Like you either have to sing like these guys, um, or maybe play an instrument or maybe you're an incredible athlete that you got to have some type of crazy talent. If you don't have either of those things in line, you just have to have a really jacked up story, right? Cause if tell me this isn't you, man, when when somebody's like, Hey man, tell me your story. So many of you are like, Oh, um, dude, I really don't have a testimony, man. My story about Jesus is simple. I mean, I've known him for a long time. I, um, I don't, I don't really have anything all that great. It's just, I met Jesus and, and we feel like we don't have something great because we weren't a drug dealer that was a murder and pimp. And then at age seven, we gave our life to Jesus. Um, <laughs> we've, we've got to have that crazy like angle. And, and I, I feel like and maybe this is just me, and I don't understand this, but I honestly, I think this is true. I think that God gets an incredible amount of joy doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. I, th- I do, man. I, I think that God loves the ordinary because I think it allows him to show off just a little bit. And I, I think he really loves grabbing ordinary people and doing extraordinary things. And, and I think the problem with too many of us is we think that God is only calling the extraordinary. And in fact, I, I believe this with all my heart. I think that God isn't calling the extraordinary. He's just waiting for the ordinary to answer. He's waiting for us to do something. And I, I think, I think we can break it down simple. So if, if you've got a Bible, go with me to Acts 4. Like I said, we're going to get to the beginning, kind of where church started. Um, we're going to get into Acts 4. So let, let me set up just a little bit of where we're at. The church has just taken place. Jesus was crucified. He came back to life. A bunch of his friends got together. Um, he's ascended back into heaven. The, these guys have got together. They've sat in an upper room of a house. So they're sitting upstairs and they're just going crazy. They're like, man, I can't believe this really happened. This is nuts. And the church is starting to form in a couple of them. Cause you know, this is true. When, when believers get together, there's always a couple crazies. Dude, and there's a couple crazy folks in this group and they're running out telling people what God is doing. And it's, it's going nuts. Their names are Peter and John. And, and that's where we pick up in, in chapter four, starting in verse one, it, it goes here. It says the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And, and let me help you real quick. The priests, the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, the Sadducees, these are the three main bodies of people that were, were in charge of getting Jesus arrested and crucified. These are the three main entities that gather together and like, dude, we got to, we got to stop this Jesus thing. So these are the three main groups of people that were really responsible for Jesus's arrest and his, his crucifixion. And, and we know some of them are easy, like the priest and the capital, the captain of the temple guard. Those are easy to figure out. The Sadducees may be new to some of you. 
The Sadducees was a really small Jewish sect that they did not believe in the resurrection. They were a group of religious people that, that did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. Uh, <laughs> church jokes. Because you get it, if you don't believe that there's anything after death, then all you have to look forward to is life. And when life is over, it kind of stinks, and so you're sad. Um, that's why they're not happy, you sees, or the, it's going to get better, you sees. That's why they're sad, you sees. Uh, Whew, that's the worst joke ever. Um, the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees are all gathered together. And, and let me just throw this in for free real quick. The Sadducees were known for not believing in the resurrection. When you're known for what you don't believe in, that's usually a problem. It, it's not a good thing necessarily to be known for what you're against. So just, just, that's just my opinion. Um, verse 2. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So, so get this, you've, you've got the Sadducees and the, these three main bodies of people that are upset because the apostles, Peter and John, are talking to people about Jesus coming back from the dead. All they're doing is they're saying what they saw. These, these guys are just telling people that they saw Jesus crucified and killed, but then they saw him alive again not too long later. And it's messed with the Sadducees. And, and this is important because if people start buying into this, nobody's going to listen to the Sadducees anymore. It totally just devalues their way of teaching because they're teaching this as a fundamental truth that there is no resurrection for the dead. And if that's not true, if Jesus was resurrected, it totally makes them unworthy to be listened. I mean, it, it takes away their, their stage. It takes away their voice. It takes away really their credibility. And so it's got them a little bit nervous. So verse three, they seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now, let me help you with this a little bit. So you you know why this this is going on. If, if the Sadducees lose this, it's a big deal. We know if, if we read a little bit earlier, we know that Peter and John right now did exactly what you guys did. They got up in the morning and they, they got dressed. They probably had like a granola bar, maybe, I don't know, watch sports center. And then they, they went to church. We know that they rolled in. We know it's the, the late service. It was about 4 p.m. because they went in at the evening, the evening sacrifices. So we know that they went in about 4 p.m. We know through history and through tradition that according to, to Jewish law, nobody could be put to death unless it was during the daylight hours. So the Sadducees are upset enough with the belief, with Peter and John that they've got them thrown in jail because they're going to try them for their lives on just this simple fact of telling people that Jesus came back from the dead. So this is a huge deal for the Sadducees. This is a big, like, crossing that line. They are fired up and angry right now with Peter and John. So much so that they've been thrown in jail. Now, verse 4. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That is some messed up church growth. Now, if you have ever volunteered in the nursery, let that sink in for just a second. Because just a few weeks ago, we had a handful of people, just a couple babies. And then if you, if you go back just a little bit in Acts 2, you see that the church grows from just a handful of people. Peter and John walk up and they start saying this exact same message. Hey, this is who Jesus was. He died. He came back to life. We saw him. And the church grows from just this handful of people to 3,000. And now, just a few days later, Peter and John are again out in front of people, and all they're saying is what they saw and know about Jesus. They're not going to any crazy, deep theological debates. They're not reciting scripture. Really, the deepest theological, anything in their message, if you go back and read in verse in chapter 2 and, and chapter 3, the, mo- the deepest thing they say is this. Hey, as, as Jewish people, 
We have prayed and looked forward to the Messiah our entire life. Our whole life has been waiting on this guy to come. We couldn't wait for the Messiah to be here. He was Jesus and you killed him. That's about the, the heaviest thing that they said. And then they throw in, but hey, don't sweat it because he was God and it was part of his plan. And he came back from the dead three days later and we saw him. If you had a message that you know if you spoke, you, you know if you said this message to a group of people, to anybody, over 5,000 people's lives would be changed. If you said a message and, and you knew it up front, that if, man, if I go out and I say this, 5,000 people's lives are going to, they're going to change. Eternities are going to shift. But if you do it, you're going to go to jail. <laughs> would you still speak? And don't go getting all churchy because you're like, oh, yes, of course I would. Hold up a second. There are whistle britches. That's what my mom always called me. Hold on for a second. You get what going to jail means. That affects every part of your life. I don't know what you do for a living, but I guarantee you, if I called Lynn on Monday morning, it was like, hey, Pastor Lynn, um, I'm not going to be in today. Really? Are you sick? No, I'm in jail. That's a whole different outlook for my, my job placement. I don't know what that does to my mom when I call home and be like, hey, mom, how are things? Oh, they're great. How are you? Well, I'm in jail. That, that changes my family dynamics quite a bit. It changes the way that people look at me. It changes the way people are talking about me. If you had a message that 5,000 people's lives were going to be changed, but it was going to send you to prison, would you go? Now, most of us, we're not going to go to jail. If we walk out of these doors and we start talking about what God has done, most of us aren't going to prison. And, and can, I, can I pause for just a second and say this? There's something crazy we can learn from this. Church growth happens when we leave this and we stop pretending that this is church and we start having church out there. It's, it happens, and wait, it happens when we stop fellowshipping in here as church, because church happens when we hit the world. When we leave this place and tell people what God has done, that's church. This is the huddle. And I guarantee you, you don't score touchdowns in the huddle. We need to break the huddle, and we need to go and tell people what God is doing in our lives. And the minute we do, thousands of people, and I have no doubt about this, thousands upon thousands, we're going to go into building projects for the next 90 years because we're not going to fit the people in the room. Because when we tell people out there what God is doing in here, it changes people's lives. And we've, we've got to. That's all that God wants from us is to say yes to who he is and tell people who he is and what he's done. What's keeping us from doing that? And this is going to hurt for just a minute, but you're lucky because you just get it for five minutes. I've had to, to think through this for a couple weeks now. Why aren't we telling people what God is doing in our life? I get it at work. It's kind of hard, man. It could cost you your job. My job, it's easy to talk about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's simple. We have staff meeting and one of the first thing that, that Pastor Lynn does, and I love it. It's my, my favorite day of the week, man. When we have staff meeting, he, he looks at all of us and he's like, all right, where's God moved? Tell me some, where's God showed up? What are some things God's done? And we as a staff get to talk about, oh man, God did this in this ministry and we did this and God showed up. We had this happen in Kaboom. We had a, a man the other day in staff that was like, man, my daughter went to Kaboom and they were talking about Jesus. She came home and was asking me and my wife and we got to tell her about Jesus and we have those moments. So for me to talk about God at work, it's really easy. I, I get it may be hard for you. Can I be honest, man? You, you know where I struggle talking about God is home. Mainly because I'm tired. I talk about God all day. When I get home, sometimes I just want to be at home. 
And don't, don't get me wrong before y'all start throwing like books or Bibles at me. I, I tell my neighbors about Jesus. I mean, I've invited them to, to church. They know what I do. I just don't do it very often. So I've been thinking, why? Why don't I go to my neighbor on the right side of my house who doesn't speak very good English and I, I'm pretty sure doesn't know Jesus? Why don't I invite him more regularly? This, this is it right here. You ready? I have a grapefruit tree in my backyard. Dude grows, it's on steroids. I've never seen a tree produce so many grapefruits in my life. I hate grapefruit. <laughs> my neighbor's got a fig tree. And if I time it right, I can go in the backyard and he'll give me figs and I can give him grapefruit. And it's a great deal. I don't want to mess that up. I don't want to be the guy that when I drive home, that the neighbors are like, shh, turn the lights out, be quiet. I don't, I don't want to be that guy that when I drive into my driveway, that the garage doors instantly go down on both sides of my house. I want my neighbors to talk to me. I don't want to lose figs. I wish that was a joke. The neighbor on the other side of me is a single mom. She's Mormon. She's got about five boys. One of them just got back from mission. You, you ready for this? I don't talk to her about Jesus or invite her enough because I'm afraid I'm going to go over there and her son is going to ask me something I don't know the answer to because he just got back from his, his mission and I don't want him to be smarter than me. And I'm guessing he's pretty smart because he just got back from two years of just, just doing that. And I don't want to walk over there and him say something and my reply be, hmm, I don't really know. I'll get back to you on that. I, I don't want to look like an idiot. That's it. That's the best I could come up with. That's what's keeping me from going and sharing what God is doing in my life to the people that live around me. Now we laughed at mine, and that's hateful. <laughs> what's your excuse? Why don't you go and tell people what God has done in your life? Why don't you go and tell your neighbors what God is doing inside of you? Why don't you go out and tell your coworkers, your friends, your classmates, your family, what God has done in your life? I guarantee you the second that we stop trying to be extraordinary and we allowed God to use the ordinary, it's going to change lives. That stinks. Go to verse five. <laughs> verse five says this. It says, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem and let me help you real quick, because this, this gets big. So they, they spend the night in jail. They get up the next morning, and now you've got the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law. This is, this is the equivalent of our Supreme Court. This is called the Sanhedrin. This is the Israeli, this is their Supreme Court. The Sadducees are so worked up on this. They've got the best of their, their judicial system now to try John and Peter. They, they've got the best that they have so that they can put these two to death, and they've shown up. In addition to them, they also have, verse 6, Aeneas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Aeneas was a high priest at the time. Caiaphas was his brother-in-law. or I'm sorry, his son-in-law. He's the high priest to come. John is his son. He's the high priest after him. Alexander is just some relative. And we all have that cousin that hangs out. That's Alexander. So not only is the Sanhedrin, or not only is the Supreme Court come in to try these two, but now the rulers, the high priests, the best of the best of the, the, the religious realm is there. And they're trying John and Peter. Verse 7. It says, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power, what name did you do this? And, and let me help for a minute because we don't know what they did. 
Peter and John are walking to church just like we did this morning. And they walk past the guy who's sitting down because he's lame. He's a beggar. And they walk by him. And this guy's been there for tons of time. He's over 40 years old. He's never walked before. And they walk by. Everybody walks by him. And this guy's sitting there. And he's like, hey, dude, can you spare some change? And he's maybe rattling the cup. And Peter and John look at him. And they're like, it's like a week till payday, bro. Um, I tell you what, this is what I do have. In the name of Jesus, get up. And they reach down and this guy stands up. And I know that's shaky for some of you. You're like, come on, Tim. Dude's been lame for 40 years. How does he get up and walk? I have no idea. But I know that if my God can speak oceans into existence and can talk and mountain ranges are formed, I have no problem with him saying, hey, you should stand up and walk. And somebody who's never felt anything in their legs for 40 years standing up and moving. And I don't know what you would do if you've been lame for 40 years. I guarantee you, dude, I'm white chocolate. I'm up and I'm dancing like a fool in that moment. You're not keeping, I got happy feet because I'm not standing still. If for the first time in my life, I'm feeling blood and that moment, you know, when you, you, you've been asleep, like your legs are asleep and you get the club foot and you're walking around and you're like, oh, and then that feeling comes in, dude, I'm moving everywhere. And I'm not stopping what's happening. And, and I love this. Peter and John are like, man, if we're on trial for this, let me, let me help you real quick. We didn't do that. If that's what we're on trial for is for helping this guy, then this is easy because we didn't do it. Go, on, go down just a little bit farther. Um, and before, before we get there, this is important because if, if the Sadducees can pinpoint who's starting this, this uprising, then it's easy for them to go and put a stop to it. So they're asking them kind of a loaded question. And, and let me ask you this because this is one of the best compliments you'll ever get. Has, remember the time somebody's walked up to you and they said, hey, you're different. What happened? You're not the same, Tim, I remember. You're not the same. Dude, I remember you in high school. What happened? You're so different. You're not the same guy, man. Two weeks ago, you realize that's the best thing that anybody can ever say to you. Because it means that they're seeing Jesus inside of you. And I don't know what your life is like, but I feel like my growth with Jesus is so gradual. Nobody ever notices. And for someone to come up to me and say, man, you're you're different. I I don't know what it is about you, but there's something. That's Jesus. (laughs) Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, and and we got to pause because some of us, this is going to mess with us. The Holy Spirit's not Casper. It's not this weird little ghost that's hiding under the bed. So when you go to sleep, it's like, boo. And then Jesus loves you. It's not that type of Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit is what God left us. When Jesus was on this planet and he died and and he rose back from the dead before he went to heaven, he looked down and he said, man, I'm giving you a gift. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm giving you a deposit of who I am. I'm giving you my presence in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give that to you as a promise that I'm coming back for you someday. And you get that everything that we do that's good. Everything that we do is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is why when some of you, you, you go to the, like, I don't know, you're at a restaurant and you're having a conversation. You're like, Hey, I like some fries. Um, can I get some ketchup? And somehow that conversation turns into like the blood of Jesus. And now you're talking to them about God and what he's done in your life. That's the Holy spirit. That moment where somebody comes up and they do notice that you're different. And they're like, man, you are, I don't know what happened to you. Who are you? That's the Holy spirit. And that same, this is beautiful, that same spirit that filled Peter is the exact same spirit that's available to us as believers. There's no difference between this Holy Spirit that, that, that filled Peter and John and the Holy Spirit that Jesus left for us. It, it's the exact same and it's there for us. And I guarantee you the cool part of this is the Holy Spirit does the hard job. All we do is go and tell people what God has done in our life and the Holy Spirit takes that and does something cool with it. 
All Peter and John did to this lame person was tell them about Jesus and the Holy Spirit healed that man. I don't know how good you are at some things. I know some of you are probably great athletes. Some of you are incredibly smart. Some of you can look at numbers. Some of you can just geniuses and that's great, but that's not you. That's God's gift in you. God has blessed you with that ability and talent. He's, and I get that you practice and you probably study harder than everybody else. And I get that, but it's, it's Jesus. He's birthed that desire in you. He's birthed that ability in you. And I love this. The, the Holy Spirit filled Peter and he says this, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today on an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, look, look at verse 10, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, and, and pause for a second, remember who Peter is talking to. He's in front of the Supreme Court of the Jewish culture. He's in front of the high priests and their successors. He's in front of the, the best of the best as far as the teaching world and the religious world has to offer in that moment. Peter's standing in front of them and, and he says, hey, if, if this is you, check this out. This is who we're talking about. Not only you, but everybody in Israel. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you've been crucified, or who you crucified, and by whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you and is healed. You get that it is never and will never be about you. And for some of us, this is good news. Freedom for you has never been and it will never be about you. And some of you understand freedom because right now you're being held slave to sin for guilt and for shame and for a lot of pain that you've been trying to be religious enough to get through. You've tried to be good enough. Can, can I help you real fast? You are never going to be religious enough. You are never going to be good enough. You're never going to do enough good to get freedom from the guilt that you have. I know this is going to be hard for some of you to believe, but I, I was never like addicted to drugs or alcohol. Um, some of you are like, really? I know, right? <laughs> um, my addiction was religion. I was so ashamed of my thoughts and what I was doing in secret. I thought I could be religious enough that it would hide that pain. So I was a kid, man. If I remember VBS, old school Christians, I was the VBS king, dude. I, I had every answer. They would ask a question. I'd be like, Abraham. Moses, Sennacherib, I knew them all. Dude, I could throw out the names like that. We did this thing called Bible drills or sword fights because we wanted to be cool and there was really nothing really all that cool about it, I guess. So we did these things called sword fights and you'd be like, swords ready? And you'd throw your Bible up like this. And they would say like Exodus 14 and you would like, first one there would be like, they'd step forward and you'd get to read the verse and you'd get a patch or a candy bar or something. I'd mess your world up in a sword fight. I would sit at home and practice that all day long, dude. I would cheat like crazy because I, I would get my thumbnail and I would make indentions in my Bible. I was the best. I was, dude, I was a ninja sword fighter because <laughs> I thought I could be religious enough. It would hide the, the trash. And, and I, I love this. God raised him from the dead and he's the, the man that stands before you. Verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Peter's saying, man, this central teaching, this beautiful fact and truth of who Jesus is, is central. This, this has to be the, the beginning, the end and everything to who we are as believers. It has to be about Jesus because we are never going to be good enough. And, and he says this here and we lose it a little bit because cornerstone doesn't mean a lot to us other than it's where we go to church. And we thought it was cool, so we stole the name. To these people, though, the cornerstone was huge. 
Because as builders would come in and they would look for a section of ground, they would, they would start to put walls together and the cornerstone was a piece of rock that would slide into pay, the place that if you pulled that piece of rock out and the slightest breeze, the walls would fall down. Without the cornerstone, you couldn't have a building. And man, this is so cool what Peter's saying. Without Jesus, we have no hope for, for salvation. Without Jesus, we have no hope for freedom. Without Jesus, we have no freedom from guilt. Without Jesus, we have no hope. And it's always 100% every day, all day, going to be about who he is and will never be about us. And let me tell you, that's why that's good news. Because our guilt and our shame is never going to be about us because it's always going to be about Jesus who's guiltless and shameless. And that's freedom. And that can allow us to walk out of a place like this and to go out there and can tell people what God has done in our lives. You get what God is asking us to do. It's not that hard. It's really, it's a two-step process. It's say yes to who Jesus is. Realize it's not about us, that we're never going to be good enough. Just say yes to God, basically. And then to go in to tell people what he's done in our life. And then let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Our job is to tell people what God has done. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I wonder if Peter like harped on that just a little bit because the, the Sadducees were sad <laughs> and they didn't get it. And I wonder if that's why he's like on this point. It's, it's about Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith. I am, um, I got real just a second ago with you and y'all laughed at me, which I, I'm gonna have to go to therapy or something, but What's your excuse? What's keeping you from going out there and telling people what God's done in your life? Why don't we go to our neighbors and invite them? You realize that we're really close to Easter. That's like the Super Bowl for anybody that, that knows what a church is. People who don't, it's, it's awesome. It's an incredible time. You get people who don't like the Super Bowl watch because of it's the Super Bowl. People who don't know Jesus will go to church because it's Easter. And they're waiting for someone to invite them. Some of you are in this room right now because somebody walked out of their house and walked to your house and invited you to be here. Or they walked into your cubicle or they talked to you at work or they did something where they just invited you to come and be a part of what God was doing. Or they just went up to you and they started sharing with you what God had done in their life. And it was so crazy to you. You're like, how does this happen? And you're like, I don't know. Come to church. And you brought them here and they, they found Jesus in this place. What's keeping you from inviting people? Our Easter service is come, it's called Come See, and, and it's going to be one of the, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be an incredible opportunity for your friends that don't know Jesus to meet him. What's going to keep you from inviting them? And, and let me help you, because when, when I looked at figs, really, that, that's what I got. Figs, and I'm afraid I'm going to look like an idiot. Like, I don't do that for free all the time anyway. I'm afraid that that's going to change in this one section of my life. I forgot, I forgot that God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. I forgot that, that God isn't looking for an extraordinary person or he wouldn't have moved me in that neighborhood. 
and let that sink in for just a second. You understand why God has placed you in the places that you are right now. Why you are in the homes that you're in. Why you're in the neighborhoods that you're in. Why you're in the blocks that you're in. Why you're in the, the jobs that you are. Why you're in school where you are. While you have the classmates surrounding you. Why you have the people in your circle of influence. You realize why you were there. It's because, and let this, this is going to be, this is nuts. It's because the creator of the universe believes in you. If he didn't, he would have put somebody else there. He knows that you're the person for the job and he believes in you so much that he, out of all the billions of the people on the planet, he stuck you next to that person at work. He stuck you in that house. He put you in that relationship. He placed you there because he believes in you. Verse 13 is huge. It says when they saw and remember who they is, this is the Sanhedrin. This is the Supreme Court. This is the educated. This is the high priest. When they saw the courage of Peter and John. And realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When, they, when the smartest of the smart looked out and they saw that this was Peter and John. They probably the first, I, I guarantee you the first thing that they thought was. Why does it smell like fish? Peter and John were fishermen. And if those of you who go fishing, you understand. If, you, if you're a fisherman and you catch fish, you stink. And you can't wash that stink off. Like it wears off. If you do it as a profession, you stink bad. I guarantee you, Peter and John walked into the room, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, their first thought wasn't, who are these scholars? It was like, did we order lunch? What's happening? Until they started hearing what God had done in their life. And then it went from, who are these people to these ordinary, untrained men astonished them. And it wasn't because of something extraordinary they did or they said, they astonished them because they could look at them and tell that they had been with Jesus. You realize all I'm asking us, and please hear me in this, all I'm asking us to do is stop pretending that this is church. Realize that church is out there and start telling people out there what God is doing in our lives. And the moment we do, it's going to change everything. There are people out there that are hurting. This is way too big for us to ignore. There are people out there that are struggling for happiness and joy, struggling for freedom. And they're waiting for us to invite them and just to tell them what God's done. I feel like this is one of those moments where we, um, I don't know, where we throw our hands in the middle. Remember those? We, we get like this um, and, and then we say something like Ricky Martin and then we all, yay. And then we go out and we tell everybody about Jesus. Um, I almost wanted to do that, but I was afraid of what would happen. Instead, I'm just going to pray for us. Because I believe this with all my heart. I believe that there's people in this room that God believes in enough that he placed you in a relationship to go out and to tell people what God is doing. I believe that there's people in this room right now that the whole reason you were here is you needed to hear the truth that God isn't ashamed of you. He's not upset with you. He's not mad at you. He doesn't hate you. He is passionately and madly in love with you so much so that he sent Jesus to come on this planet and die for you. And he is so in love with you. He believes in you so much that he placed you in the places you are to go and tell people about the things he's doing in your life. And today's the day that you need to start that by allowing him to set you free. God, thank you for today. <laughs> Jesus, thank you for the, the fact that it has never been and will never be about us. God, I thank you for the fact that it's always 100% been about you, God. I thank you for the truth found in your word that you don't look for extraordinary, God. You're just waiting on ordinary people to step up and to be obedient. So God, I pray right now in this room, 
Jesus, would you start with me? Man, would you give me the courage to, to be your voice to the people around me, to my neighbors, to, to people at the gas station, at the grocery store, wherever you place me, God, would you give me the courage to be vocal about who you are? And that, God, would you give me the courage to tell people what you've done in my life and then to move out of the way and let your spirit, God, work? God, would you be with my friends in this room right now? Give us the courage to go out of here today excited about who you are, to let the shame and guilt just be lifted and God, to walk out of this place and tell people what you've done. And Jesus, would you give us the strength and the courage to do this through your spirit, that same spirit that filled Peter and John. And God, would you do this in the beautiful and holy name of Jesus. Amen.